probably here because you're wondering how someone can afford to buy a home in this high interest rate environment. Well, you're at the right place because today we will cover that and hopefully help you gain the confidence on how to buy or finance that big ticket item. Welcome to another episode of the Dapper Dollars podcast, where we answer your finance questions, but a bit with style. I'm in Irvine, and we also have George as your co-host for the show. So George, what can our listeners learn from this episode? The home ownership process is constantly changing, making it difficult for people to keep up with these latest trends. Navigating through a high interest environment is crucial for prospective homeowners because it can help them understand high interest rates, how it impacts your affordability of the homes, financing options, investment decisions, and the broader economy. So by understanding these dynamics, buyers can make these informed decisions about purchasing a home and securing financing. So before we introduce our guest for today, we want to encourage you to like this, subscribe to our channel. That will help the algorithm boost our channel to other viewers like yourself. So Anebin, who do we have on the show for today? Today, we have Shamari Franks. Shamari Franks is the mortgage origination manager for the Members' Choice Credit Union, also known as MCCU, based out of Houston, Texas. He is well-versed in the various aspects of real estate. Shamari assists borrowers through the mortgage application process and prepares them for the loan closing. He's had about seven years of experience within the space. Welcome, Shamari. Hey, what's going on, my man? How y'all doing? Y'all doing all right? Yeah, yeah. No, thank you for joining us. Before we get started, we wanted to start with that fun icebreaker question like always. So if you won about $10 million in your in the lottery, how would you invest that in your real estate portfolio? Um, I think right now in Texas, man, a lot of uh, money is going towards purchasing land and either focusing on uh, future residential properties or Airbnbs, or just some kind of weird complex that you can just uh, sell out to the public uh, that can entice people to kind of use it on a regular basis. So I think for me, um, if I had a large bulk of money like that, I'd probably focus on uh, some attractive rural area escape type of situations. Or also uh, for me myself, because I DJ on the side, I definitely focus on event centers that are not in the metropolitan area, because a lot of Event centers are like in rural areas, so I definitely focus on that in areas and pockets where they don't have that many. Oh, that, that's awesome. That's such a, a niche idea because I know a lot of people don't actually think about um, that way to invest into a real estate portfolio. But indeed, event centers are needed just because so many things are happening and people want to come celebrate with friends, family. And so that that is that is an actually awesome idea. So thank you. So um, we'll kind of just dive straight in into things um, just to call on today's um, economy. Uh, so there's a lot of the DMB basically going around the rising interest rates uh, around how the, the housing market. Um, some people argue that, you know, these high interest rates will actually lead to an increased demand in home prices. Why uh, the other the other part of the thinking, they say um, this would actually stimulate demand, um, basically. Um, so my question here is, what is your perspective on this issue? Um, how do you advise buyers to actually approach the market currently in the high interest environment? Well, I'd like to work backwards on that one just for a second, just to just to give you a perspective as far as that. Uh, when you're talking about when is the best time, the best time is often whenever you're ready, because we always say marry the property, but date the rate. OK. And if you look at certain situations as far as rates, they're going to go up, they're going to go down because the market itself, if you always wonder about uh, pre 
projecting or perceiving what the market is going to do in the future? No one really knows because we are the market. We are the ones who are actively participating in the market and the market is going to be affected based on our participation. So first first uh, answer to that question, take yourself, look at your portfolio, look at your perspective and then dive in whenever you're ready. You can always refinance. You know what I'm saying? You can always change your rate. There are also products out there that allow you to actually lock in rates later on and not charge for free. Say, for example, with Members Choice Credit Union, we have an arm program that if your credit is a certain uh, a certain in a certain range, a high range, of course, like above uh, six, 720, then you're talking about being able to purchase a home now, having a, a adjustable rate mortgage and in three years calling back and saying, OK, the market, the rates have gone down. We can lock this in for free. So there are there are all types of products and incentives right now with higher rates that allow people to walk in and easily adjust their situation just based on their credit score. So what I would say, first and foremost, make sure you have a solid credit score. A lot of people don't realize that their credit score is a bigger issue when it comes to rates rather than the rates that are offered themselves. Number two, let's just look at the background. Like in 1983, the mortgage rates were like at 16 to 18%, you know? So 6% right now really couldn't, shouldn't be considered high. I bought my first home in 2003. And I got 6.25 as the rate in 2003. And I thought I was winning. I was like, oh, man, I got a low rate. And then COVID had hit, you know what I'm saying? And the rates dropped. And everybody was used to twos and 1.9s on 30-year mortgages. And you got to think for a second, realistically. 30 years at 1.9% means that the bank is actually giving you money for free. How long do you think any financial institution is willing to give away money for a long period of time for nothing? You know what I'm saying? No one. So we have to understand that everything was manipulated on purpose in order to keep the financial structure at least intact to a certain extent. That's why the rates are, I'd say, 2003, 2004, 2005 right now. And once inflation starts to curve, we should expect, which we can't predict, but we should expect rates to start to dampen and start to get in a more comfortable range. And your more comfortable range is like three and a half to five. OK, so that that's basically the answer to those two questions. I hope I answered both of them. That's a good point. So I like how you mentioned that that phrase. It's like a popular phrase, you know, date the rate, but marry the, the price rate. So I know you mentioned that 2003, you got 6.25 or 6.25%. So I think in a way that it is a little different now, just because because of inflation, prices are so much higher now. And so balancing the high interest rate, I, love, I put that in air quotes right now, um, and trying to pay off um, you know, abnormal prices now in this current market with the price of housing. So I want to ask you this, like, what are some of the biggest challenges people are facing as home buyers? Um, you know, how can they determine their budget and affordability in a high interest rate environment? What we have to do is, and I'm, I'm just taking it from a personal aspect. I think a lot of times what we end up having to do is uh, get rid of much debt as possible, you know, and especially focus on the debt that is going to incur the most interest. Because when we understand that when interest rates rise, they rise everywhere. We're talking about auto. We're talking about um, homes. We're talking about credit cards. A lot of credit cards have variable interest rates. 
And because they have variable interest rates, it means that those financial institutions can change those rates according to what the market is doing. Your rate is not fixed. So if you came in with a 1% interest rate on your credit card or a 5% or a 10%, that rate might be 15. For most people that had lower credit scores, they didn't come in with a 1.9% uh, interest rate on the credit card. So that means their interest rate probably started about 17, 18, and now it's probably at 29. So every time you fill up that credit card or you max that credit card out, they're hitting you for the bulk amount at 29%. You look at your statement closely and you see that it says if you pay the minimal amount, it will take you 45 years to pay this off. A lot of people don't take the time to actually look at that. And that's what causes all of us to get in those cycles. So to go back to your question, what we have to do is minimize. And this is me personally, minimize your credit card debt. Get those things down to zero. Make sure you're not make sure you're paying at least interest, at least the least amount of interest as possible. And then when you can do that, you can look back and say, okay, I'm saving $300 a month here. I'm saving $200 a month there. Those small amounts that you save when you have your credit cards paid off are bountiful as far as being able to uh, finance for a home, being able to save money, being able to buy a new car, uh, being able to increase your credit score. All of those things work into the effect of that. So I would say start small and then just capitalize on containing that income that you're not spending on interest and just put it to the side and save it. I love that because I feel like right now there's just so much of a anxiety of trying to get into the housing market, which is awesome. Like, right. Everybody thinks as the American dream is to own some real estate and having that fear of missing out that FOMO effect, you're minimizing that because you're telling us that it is still possible but just look at your other expenses, like look at the other debts that you can reduce in that way you can get a better credit score and then get into a better rate in this current market. Exactly. And then on top of that, when you when you turn around and you start looking at, OK, I'm jumping into the housing market, then a lot of people may shoot for the stars, you know, and 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 kind of miss the kind of miss it with the facade of the mountains. OK, so and what I'm saying in so many words is this. Your first home that you purchase is not your last home. You're usually not going to stay in that home for 30 years. So think ahead. Say, I might want to turn my first home into a rental property. So if I'm going to turn this into a rental property, how about I buy a mid-sized home that's comfortable enough to fit me and my family? Okay. And then turn around in five, seven years and upgrade. And then take that house, that first house, turn it into a rental property. Now you have essential income coming from that rental property, you know? You're paying off that mortgage at the same time with the renters that are in it. Now you got two homes, okay? Nine times out of 10, your second home may not be your final home. You might end up in the, in the next 30 years having three to four homes and two or three of them are rental properties and you're living in the one that you really want. So you have to you have to play the, the short game and the long game at the same time. I just want to add, so first off, I think you need to send us your, your coconut water recipe because you look good. <laughs> I never would have guessed, but... Awesome, awesome. Um, so I, I liked how you you gave us that drill down from a consumer perspective. You spoke about 
you know, the foundational approach, building your credit, doing, doing the right work. And you also now just imply to us the strategic approach as well. And I think that does make sense because that speaks to what we are doing with our platform, putting it into people's minds that understanding that they can actually go and achieve things that they, they thought would not be possible just by adjusting a few things, you know, be it like lifestyle, be it like, you know, how they, uh, how they see finance within themselves. Uh, this goes to my, my question. So, uh, can you sort of explain the difference between, um, how a credit union and a traditional bank in terms of the mortgage options they give to consumers, um, within this environment? Is there a sort of a differentiating factor also how they look at consumers? Yeah, man. Let me, let me start out by saying this. In my younger days, I wasn't the type to go to a credit union. <laughs> I was the type to like, and I'm not going to go to a credit union because I want to find an ATM that's like right around the corner. You know, you got your average banks where you're going, you know, the chase, you're going to go here, you're going to go there. You're going to find a, a you're going to find an ATM like close by. I need access to my money like immediately, you know, and then you're talking about the fact that, um, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, the access to your dollar wasn't as fluid as it is now. You know, you have all your cash apps, you have all your sales, you have all your exchanges that you that you have right now. So thinking credit union wise, it's like, OK, I got to drive halfway across town to get to my ATM. That's, you know, but I'll tell you this. When I started in the financial world in 2016 as a loan officer. I started with a company that worked with a variety of credit unions, and that opened up my eyes to the difference of what a credit union can do for you compared to a larger bank. And this is the difference. The credit union's purpose is to serve the members. At the end of the day, when you go to a larger financial institution, and I won't name any names, but you know, big banks. Okay. At the end of the day, you're a number. They have a cookie cutter worksheet as far as to put you in a box to say either you benefit from this program or you don't. Either you approved or denied. With a credit union, you have decisions that are made based on the longevity of how long you've been a member. You have decisions that are made based on the interest rates that are that they offer. And you have decisions that are made just based on the how they just want to treat their members. So. Through the adventure of me working with a variety of credit unions and landing with a member's choice credit union, I can honestly say that I definitely prefer credit unions over uh, over larger banks when it comes to financing anything. You know, if you're talking about a uh, an auto loan or a credit card or a mortgage, I would definitely go to a credit union first. Even when people call and I can't um, originate in a certain state. I've often said people will call from Florida and say, hey, you know, can can you guys I'm, I'm a member of uh, such and such so and so. And I'm calling in because I want to buy a home in in uh, in Florida. And, you know, they've moved from Texas to Florida for whatever reason. So I literally say, look, look at the address of where you're trying to buy the property. Search any credit unions in that area and call those credit unions because those credit unions are going to benefit you the most because they benefit a membership area. Most credit unions will work in the membership area where their where their credit unions are located. Okay, we at Members Choice Credit Union have a we have a hybrid method, so we actually kind of facilitate all of Texas because that's what we originate in, and other credit unions that have that federal in their name they facilitate the whole nation. 
So like Navy Federal, they would facilitate all of the United States, every state. So for us, we facilitate all of Texas. And that gives us the benefit of reaching out to those that are in Amarillo or those that are in El Paso. So basically what I'm saying in so many words is, is at the end of the day, we just have to look at plain and simple the fact that credit unions are very beneficial to anyone that lives in the area where they'll serve membership. And they're always going to offer lesser interest rates and better uh, packages for their members because membership is the most important as far as with the credit union, even over profit. OK, you need something that is stable in the community that will offer the assistance to the community that's beneficial to all of their members. And a lot of time, big banks just don't do that. Awesome. Uh, I guess my, my follow up question would be quickly, if you can give like a resource tip for people to actually start on that journey to like bettering, you know, their credits. So anyone off the top of your head, you'll say uh, these are tried and tested, you know, resources people can go in and start to actually use or utilize to like better their credit score. I would say start off with the start off with the C. FPB website, which is which stands for Consumer Financial Protection Bureau website. And that's actually a government website. So if you go into a dot com, that's not the one. Go to the CFPB.gov website. Go in there and start your research there. The CFPB is responsible for making sure that consumers are are receiving the best benefits from any financial transaction that they have. Um, you know, you're gonna have your you're gonna have your standard credit karmas and things like that. What I've noticed a lot is no matter where you have a credit card with, they have their own individual reviewing type. Like literally, I have about three or four different credit cards. And I know on those three or four different credit cards, each one of them can monitor my credit. And I literally use each one of those because I understand there are three credit bureaus. OK, there's Equifax, there's TransUnion and there's Experian. OK, and those apps, those that software only may pull from one. It usually doesn't pull from all three. That's why you only see one credit score. And a lot of people may not realize that you have three active credit scores. So monitor all of them independently. I really wouldn't be able to give you one specifically. Start with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau.gov uh, website, see what they have to offer. And then the biggest thing that I can tell you is there is a difference between a mortgage credit pool and a and your average consumer credit pool when you're talking about credit cards and stuff like that. So when you first look at your, let's just say Credit Karma, for example. Say you look at Credit Karma and your credit score, that one credit score is 709. I would honestly deduct maybe 15 to 30 points from that, okay? Because if you're shopping for a credit card or shopping for auto, they're not really looking at your 10 year history. They're just mainly looking at your credit card history or your auto payment history or your mortgage history. OK, but when you're dealing with a mortgage credit pool, we're talking about looking at 10 years. We're talking about any previous debt that may have been charged off. We're talking about foreclosures. We're talking about bankruptcies. We're talking about your previous mortgage history, even though that mortgage note is paid off. If you were late on it, mortgage credit pool will also calculate that in too. So your score is going to be weighted based on 10 years of activity. So that means that your score is going to be weighted a little harder. And a lot of people will come in and say, oh, you know, my credit score is 720. And then when I pull it, it's 709 or 690. And they're upset. And I'm like, look, 
the mortgage credit pool is totally different, you know, so you have to weight that in and factor that in. So definitely just aim high and try and get your credit as high as possible, because at the end of the day, usually anything above 740 is considered perfect credit. So I had a question about with COVID happening now and you know, there's a lot of job losses and financial instability. With what you were just saying right here, like how do credit unions respond to these challenges? What kind of lessons have you learned that maybe you guys are doing something differently? A lot of credit unions will create their own portfolio product. Okay. So a portfolio product is something that steps out of the guidelines of, of the feds. It steps out of Fannie Mae guidelines. So say, for example, when you hear something like a hundred percent financing, or you hear something like uh, just a home equity where you can take a second lien against your equity and it not affect your first lien. Say, for example, you have a of your first mortgage, right? Um, in that extent, if you're taking out a home equity loan, it might be a, a second lien that's connected to your home, a secured lien, but it's not it's not conjoined with your first mortgage. So basically, the two mortgages stand separately. That's a portfolio product. Um Land purchases would be a portfolio product. When you hear portfolio, that means that the credit union itself has established certain products to help their members based on their area of need. Okay, so that works into the advantage, because if I come in and say, hey, I want to buy some land for two hundred thousand dollars. Well, if I go to any regular bank or any regular institution or even any regular lender, like a brokerage, they're, if they're not participating with a land financier, then they're going to tell me immediately, okay, we, we just don't do land loans because land is not considered part of the single family home structure of Fannie Mae guidelines. So when you're talking about credit unions, a lot of credit unions will, will add those things to their products as portfolios and then what happens is, is once they originate or once they complete that loan, they have to hold on to it because they can't sell it to any other investor. You can't do like the regular thing, like um, what um, what Wells Fargo or what Chase does as far as buy a bulk of uh, uh, home loans and then sell it to another you know, uh, financial institution. You can't do that with land. You can't do that with HEs. You can't do that with other proprietors because it doesn't fall under the federal guidelines of what you could purchase. So those are the things that are offered through the credit unions that are different from banks as far as uh, portfolio products. And I emphasize the word portfolio. When you hear portfolio, that's the words that you want to look for and say, OK, that's a product that the credit union has made for itself just to entice its members to to benefit them just based on you know where they live. You know, so I think speaking of the, the, the services being offered, uh, one, of, one of the cons of, you know, the COVID pandemic situation was, you know, just that way where the disparity, you know, between the, um, you know, between the rich and poor was actually sized on. A lot of people kind of went through the emotions, but it did show that big chasm. Um, so I guess in terms of speaking towards the impact of the housing market on income inequality, the wealth disparities, um, what do you believe um, the role credit unions play towards addressing these economic issues and how do they help to contribute towards like a more equitable housing landscape? First and foremost, we have to realize that sales price of homes is not the only thing that's gone up. We know that rent has gone up also. OK, I can say, for example, in Texas, the most fastest place where rent has gone up 
is like Austin. Like, I think if I'm not mistaken, and I'm pulling this number off the top of my head. So make sure y'all out there just check. I think that their rent went up like 500 percent during COVID, you know, in that area, 500 percent. So what you're saying is, is that your average rent went from one thousand to I don't know what, you know, you cal- you calculate those numbers, you know. So at the end of the day, if rent is going up, that means you're paying someone else's mortgage. OK, someone else's property value, someone else's whatever they have attached to that bills or uh, liabilities that they have attached to that. And you're getting no return from it. All right. So we also understand the disparity of saying, OK, if rent is this high, then homes are this high. How can I equate? Well, you equate it like this. If you're in Texas and you're paying somewhere between $2,000 to $3,000 in rent, you are literally paying a mortgage of a sales price or loan amount, let's just say loan amount, between $200,000 to $350,000 as far as a home purchase. That's what we're talking about there. If you take your sales price of a home in Texas and you multiply it by 1%, that's about where, and it's really a, a slightly overinflated, say, for example, a $200,000 home. I multiply that by 1%, that's $2,000. My mortgage, including taxes, including principal interest, taxes, insurance, and home association, is going to run me somewhere between $1,700 to $2,200 a month. And that's based on depending on where you live. Okay. So the disparity comes in to the fact of not only you know, making sure that we have the monthly income to survive, but also making sure we have the knowledge to understand how the market works. So once again, if you're paying rent at $1,800 a month, there should be a house out there. You might have to move a little bit outside of the of the metropolitan area, but there's a house out there that's going that you can buy that's going to charge you the same amount that you're paying rent if you're saying you want to live downtown or you want to live in the in the metropolitan area. Okay, so that's what you really have to look at. If you can afford rent, nine times out of 10, you can afford a home and you just have to take into this consideration of how to benefit yourself better, maybe educational wise, uh, training, maybe uh, professional wise. Um, I know I did it personally as far as uh, moving from the education into finance. I was like, okay, my kids are getting older. I'm gonna need some more money coming in the house. Um, I know the longevity education of how this is looking. I know how they're investing my money. All of those things came into play. And I was like, okay, I need to I need to think about what's my next step so I can get to where I want to be rather than staying where I am right now. I appreciate that. I just want to to quickly play uh, a bit of a devil advocate here. So I know you spoke about like, hey, if you're paying this whole ginormous amount of rent like you know it might be a good alternative to go buy a home but to kind of get, add a, a con to them um, that it could be people cannot afford the down payment so that's the that's that part of it so is there any sort of down payment assistance pro programs you know your your institution kind of refers or something you can say off the top of your head like you know just go check out and this will make it accessible for home ownership Okay, so you're talking about buyer's assistance and you understand that the buyer's assistance programs are kind of like either out front or they kind of happen within a product that's that's being delivered to you. I'll give you an example of 
an out front one. Say you go to a buyer's assistance program that's helping, you know, those that are giving them three, five thousand dollars. You know, if you sign up for their program, whatever it may be, there's always going to be some type of uh, fine print that you have to make sure you cover in order to be a conscious consumer. And I'll give you a prime example. With a buyer's assistance program that gives you funds up front, there's usually something we called a silent second lien. And what that means is the money that they gave you, you'll have to pay back if you try and sell or refinance that home within a certain amount of years of living in it, say three to five years. Okay, if you try and refinance, they're going to put that money back on your payoff and you're going to have to pay all that in in restitution. Okay, if you're trying to sell it, they're going to put that money on the final balance on their final balance that they have of their payoff and you're going to have to pay it back. Another thing as far as with uh, buyer's assistance programs, they have a list of particular lenders that they work with. And usually those lenders are the type that after they have completed the loan, they're going to sell that loan off to another financial institution. So that means you're going to have a different service or that means you, you, your loan is going to jump around through the life of the loan from time to time. They'll send you a letter and say, hey, we got about to sell your loan to uh, Wells Fargo, about to sell your loan to Chase, about to sell your loan to whoever. You know, so you have to keep that in consideration. So make sure you read the fine print as far as that. You have the other um, buyer's assistance programs that may come through the city. They may not have a list of um, lenders that they work with and any lender can work with them. And the lender that they that comes in to to uh, accommodate you for that may be able to keep the loan. But they may have programs that change just based on um Whatever the situation is, say, for example, the Houston Buyers Assistance Program through the city of Houston had uh, had like thirty thousand dollars that they give out for a short period of time after Harvey. They were saying they were only giving that money out to those that were affected by Harvey, which is nothing wrong with that. But just understand that uh, city organizations will will adjust their buyers assistance programs based on the needs of their citizens at the time. Okay. Now, the third buyer's assistance program will come through a portfolio product, and that will be an example as far as the Member's Choice 100% Finance Program. Basically, what that means is that we've created that for members and non-members, okay? You can come in, but what happens is we've created it where you have to have at least a 680 credit score, okay? And that 680 credit score will allow you to make your sales price your loan amount. So that means that you really don't have to come to the table with anything other than covering your closing costs. Okay, that will benefit you greatly. That also means that since it's a portfolio product, as I as I discussed before, that institution like Members Choice will keep your loan for the life of the loan. Okay. now we all send out documentation that says we have the option of selling it at any time. So when you see that documentation and I just want to be as transparent as possible, when you see that documentation, don't let it scare you. Most Credit unions want to keep those loans because they want to get the interest off the loans over the life of the loan. Okay, so our 100 percent program is like really blasting off right now. And that would be considered a buyer's assistance program because it kind of mimics FHA, but it doesn't deal with FHA credit scores that can go as low as 580. And it also mimics buyer's assistance programs of giving your money back, but it doesn't actually give you money back. It just says, hey, you don't have to bring a down payment to the table. So that those are the kind of ways that buyer's assistance programs can can move through the market and can help you. And at the end of the day, all I can really tell you is when you're looking at a buyer's assistance program, no matter what it is, ask questions, read the fine print, 
and ask questions again, and then feel comfortable about the decision that you make when you're dealing with a buyer's assistance program. I'm, I'm really glad that you mentioned that, hey, here are the stipulations that you might catch yourself into because you can't refinance. And, you know, like the popular investment strategy you hear about is the bird, like the buy, rehab, rent, refinance, and repeat. That refinance, you got to be tricky because you have a time limit before you can do that if you're going to go in yourself with a low down payment. How can buyers make smart investment decisions when buying a home in this high interest rate environment? I think, um, I think honestly, the rate really has nothing to do with it, uh, realistically. And, and, and this is why. It's because when you're talking about rehabilitation and home flipping, that... <laughs> Okay, a lot of people have, have really gotten into HGTV and, you know, watching all those things and, and, and seeing that done so easily. And we understand that, you know, when we're watching TV, it, 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 it's made to look easily because you got to fit that into an hour. You know what I'm saying? So so what people don't realize is that that's a lot of hard money lending. And when I say hard money lending, that's cash that's coming out. That cash is king. You can literally take your money and buy whatever home you want to in whatever condition it is because it's your money, you know. But when you're talking about financing and you're talking about financing a home that might not be move in ready, then you're dealing with a different monster because understand that a financial institution is financing that for a certain amount of time, i.e. 10, 20, 30 years. That means that they have to follow federal guidelines. That means that there is an appraisal that's going to come into play. That appraisal or that appraiser is going to go out and look at that home and say, this home is not in good living condition. They're going to write it off on their report as subject to. Subject to basically means we cannot move forward until the seller fixes everything that's wrong with the home. As is, when you see it on a uh, appraisal report, that means that we're good. You can move forward. You can complete the loan. So that's how much power an appraisal report has in a finance process. So regardless of the interest rate, if I want to buy a home and flip it, and I know that the home is not in a is not in livable condition right now, I'm not going to be able to finance it with any institution unless I find a portfolio product that allows you to take the equity of the home, buy it at a low amount, take that equity, get some contractors, fix it within you know six months after you buy it, get uh, the lender to send out the appraiser to assess the assess your your uh, your path of getting it completed, and then having a finished product after the fact. And that means that the financial institution is pretty much controlling everything that goes into rehabilitating that home. And then also uh, deciding how long you may have to sit on it before you can resell it. So a lot of people don't realize that if you're flipping, you need to have your own cash to be able to do it. That means you have to have enough money to buy it low and you have, have to have enough money to have contractors to come in and redo everything. And then even when you sell it, the person that's probably buying it is financing it because they're not using hard money. So what they're doing is you're still running into the appraisal effect. So the appraisal report is a very, 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 very important factor in financing a home. And unless you're coming in with hard cash, you're probably not going to be able to, to, to flip homes as an investment. So I would suggest finding a way to tap into your revenue stream 
and then go in that way, but be very conscious and team up with other people that have already done it to get that education as far as how to invest in homes and and flip and 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 sell within the market. Uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And just so we kind of um, go back to on the line, like, you know, the reason why we have you there, it speaks to what we are, you know, as a platform. Um, so can you sort of share with us or and our listeners, you know, the missions and values of the Members' Choice Credit Union and how um, they actually relate to financial literacy and education? So so with us, as far as uh, Members' Choice, um, we take a lot of opportunity to get out to the community to perform workshops. Um, we also partner up with a lot of realtors. Um, I do um, continuous uh, education for realtors, uh, getting them to understand the mortgage process, getting them to understand that uh, different products are offered through different institutions. Um, it's all about education. I think uh, a lot of times with my background in education and just enticing everyone to research, research, research. Look, we have the whole world in our hands on our phone. You know, my, my son is 23 and and I'll ask him a question. He's like, man, I love my phone because I can just find any answer at any time. One sec, do, 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 you know, and, and it's fun. It's, it's the fact that, you know, a lot of times we may we may know ourselves with, you know, just sticking to Instagram or sticking to Facebook or sticking to Snapchat or whatever it may be. But understand you have the entire encyclopedia in your phone, man. Like you can research anything, you know, when it comes down to it, research and understand that that me, myself, you know, what I'm saying Shamari Franks, mortgage origination, origination manager with Members Choice Credit Unit is going to tell you to research even after I tell you what to do, because nobody is um, at this point. Nobody is is like king or queen of the information out there. You know, nobody is is the whole is the beholder of, of all the instructions that you follow. And somebody out there has found an easier way to do it. So research and then ask the pros. Call me, text me, shoot, send an email to Dapper Dollars. They've probably actually interviewed somebody that that has already covered that that process. Stick your feelers out. Don't be afraid to share information. Don't be afraid to ask questions and 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 just just get out there because all of us out here that actually care about people's finances are sharing that information on a regular basis. And, and George, I really hope I answered that question on that one. Just to say, hey, you just have to find people and tap into people that are in organizations. Uh, me, for example, that's going to you know benefit you uh, down the line. Yeah, no, no, you you were spot on because like again, our mission remains to close that knowledge gap and the fact that you said hey seek resources i guess that's what's missing and you know and so so yeah so you were spot on in 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 your answer so i appreciate that no i appreciate that you're also an educator and then you're now educating others people other people now in the home buying process so how can listeners get connected with you whenever they're ready to purchase their home Oh, yeah. You know, the best way is go directly to the Members' Choice website, and that's www.mccu.com. We have a main number that uh, that you can call to the mortgage department, and any part of my team will answer the questions that you have or try and send you in the right direction to get those, those questions answered. Um, if you go to the Members' Choice website, then once again, that's www.mccu.com. It will break down a lot of the products that we offer, a lot of the products that are offered a primary financial institution as a whole through the credit union as a whole. 
and 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 just allow you to tap into different departments. And our layout is is very very user friendly. You can apply for mortgages there. You can apply for for credit cards there. You can apply for bank accounts there. You can do all the things. Apply for membership. You can do all the things on the website. So I would definitely say start there, and then you'll find you, you'll find me. You you tap on the mortgage department. You 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 call the number. You, you send an email. And, and you'll definitely find me. It's not hard to find me. I, I, I'm always around, man. And we'll, and we'll definitely share your information as well in the comments below. Cool beans, cool beans. Absolutely. No problem at all, man. And to the listeners out there, thanks for tuning in today. Let us know if you have any other strategies on how you're coping with this high interest rate environment. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you leave us a review on where you listen to your podcast. And don't forget to share this episode on social media. Just don't forget to tag us on at dapper.dollars on Instagram and TikTok. Now, if you want to get more and more gems like this, uh, make sure you head over to our website, dotpadolas.com. Scroll down to our blog to access show notes from this podcast. You can also access previous episodes from podcasts we've done. We are hoping you would enjoy as well. And last but not least, don't forget to look good, feel good, and do good. See you at the next episode. Bye, y'all.